0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th.
1: the Total Soccer Show. my name is Taylor Rockwell and on today's episode we will not be joined by Ryan Bailey, so I want to get this bit out of the way up front. Here we go. England is the most important game, certainly more significant than Italy beating Spain. Gareth Southgate should be knighted, occasional shortcomings in spite of. Important stuff now addressed, let's move on to the match that was blessed. <laughs> Italy pressed, Spain went on the attack, but the Azuri pulled ahead when La Furia Roja did not track back. The Spanish got their equalizer, but it wasn't to be, despite a miss in the shootout from Locatelli. Uh, Morata scored and then missed his pen and maybe wishes he'd been at home watching in his den. The lack of further England chat might make Ryan toss his toys out the pram but we probably shouldn't care about that. Isn't that right, Graham? (laughs)
2: <laughs> definitely not. I mean, that was, the, that was the best Ryan Bailey impression I've ever heard. I'm not sure how many I've actually heard, but that was definitely the best one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't... I was hoping to avoid England chat entirely, and then I remembered that we probably sort of have to preview them, so <laughs> I won't go too much into that one. But how has the the England viewing been uh, over there? How much of this game was focused on England instead oh, of the actual game?
2: Oh, goodness. Oh, no. <laughs> it has reached... Uh, fever pitch over here and I'm not kidding, every single um, you know, half time break, the build up. It was seven minutes. I decided to time it today. I literally timed it on a stopwatch on my phone. How long it would take of the, the, the pre-match show for this game. A year, a major tournament semi-final between Italy and Spain. Like the two of the biggest footballing nations you could have. And it took them seven minutes to, <laughs> to turn the discussion towards England. Half time, there was, I, I, I kid you not, there was a package about, uh, with, with Luke Shaw talking about apparently the lucky slippers that he wears <laughs> <laughs> that is 100% oh, yeah. I'm not making that up that's what and then they then it was a discussion about Luke Shaw and Raheem Sterling at halftime of like the most I thought potentially um or possibly one of the the, the games of the tournament this was and they're talking about that at halftime oh my goodness <laughs> it was it's madness yeah. What I
1: picture is like, you know, when you get that phone call from like, it's usually work related. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's like a, a person you haven't heard from in a while. But, you know, there's a reason they're calling. And so you have to do the kind of couple minutes of like, hey, how you been? I've oh, been well. How are you doing? Doing well. So what can I do for you? Like, that's what I picture this coverage <laughs> being is sort of just waiting until they get to talk about England and then away they go.
2: Is that about how the vibe of it? Yes, absolutely. You can tell that they just can't wait to talk about, uh, <laughs> you know, Mason Mount's favorite Pixar films um, or or whatever.
1: Uh, Uh, And a man who has strong opinions about Pixar films uh, is Joe Lowry. Joe, I'm (laughs) done with rhyming, so I'm just going to ask how you're doing today, buddy. Taylor, I'm doing great. It's so great to be back. I have
3: my lucky slippers on. I just finished my second viewing of The Incredibles (laughs) and The Incredibles 2. I'm on to Ratatouille. Let's do this thing. (laughs)
1: Uh, I, I appreciate the Ratatouille. I appreciate the Patton Oswalt. <laughs> I do find myself very much enjoying Moana these days. Yeah. And uh, I watched the original Aladdin for the first time and appreciate that Disney now basically just has an apology in the front of that one. <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty phenomenal. Graham, you, you've got small children. What's the, uh, what's the uh, Pixar Disney animated thing of choice
2: over there? So we, my wife is uh, desperately trying to get Sophie, that's my daughter, into Moana because I think we're mm-hmm. both quite keen on Moana. Moana's yep. Moana's got good songs, doesn't it? And it's yep. got the rock. Yeah. And I mean, my unpopular opinion is Moana's better than Frozen. I know these aren't they're, technically they're not Pixar films. They're they're Disney films, aren't they? But um mm, I suppose. Yeah. That's that's my that's my view, and you can't change my mind. You will get no arguments <laughs> from me, my friend. Uh so
1: we, we will all agree on Moana. Joe, I won't even ask you. Joe, you yeah, can talk fine. about Moana if you want to.
2: <laughs> no, I,
3: I also like Moana. And I okay. think I think I agree, Graham. I think it might
1: be better than Frozen. I I, I do wonder though,
3: Taylor, what percentage no of our audience our is here what percentage of our audience is here to hear us talk about <laughs> Pixar or Disney animated films. Uh, I'm guessing it's it's extremely high. I maybe? mean Spain fans
1: might prefer that we continue to talk about. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You're right, Joe. Let's talk about today's game. We had Italy versus Spain. We had an exciting but goalless first half. We had two goals, one apiece in the second half. Then we had a penalty shootout. Joe, let's start at the beginning, as we are wont to do. Uh, What did you make of the basic approaches for this game? Because I was pretty surprised when I saw the Spanish lineup as I messaged the group. I thought there was a chance this was a back five, and uh, those silly apps, the lineup apps, got this one wrong. And instead, it was indeed a up top. It was Danny almost central. I wasn't expecting that. I'm guessing you weren't either, but what did you make of that Spanish approach? I certainly
3: wasn't expecting it, and I I didn't really know what it was going to look like, Taylor. Because you're talking about we weren't sure. Maybe o- Oyathabal is going to be inside, and maybe it'll be Omo and and Ferran Torres out wide. Yeah, I never know how to how to pronounce nah, that. I mean,
1: you you uh, nailed it. You <laughs> nailed it.
3: I wrote it down phonetically and not at all how he actually spells it. So uh, that's, that's my trick on that one. But I wasn't sure what this team was going to look like, right? The midfield, we were pretty sure. Busquets as the six, Pedri to his left, Koke to his right. That's written in stone at this point in the tournament. And the back four also pretty standard stuff from Luis Enrique. So really it is that forward line when Alvaro Morata gets dropped and, and ultimately it's Danny Olmo playing as that false nine. I thought it worked Brilliantly for Luis Enrique. Yes, Spain lose this game, but Danny Olmo did a fantastic job of dropping into little spaces behind Jorginho or pulling Jorginho to a side or pulling Benucci or Chiellini out of the back of Italy's out of the middle of Italy's back four. I thought the move really, when it, when it, we saw it being played out, and of course it's theoretical in hindsight, we have this advantage, but I thought it made a lot of sense for Luis Enrique to have a more mobile central forward in there, in Danny Omo versus Alvaro Morata. You have Omo who's quicker, he can pull those players out more directly. Uh, Morata can do some of that stuff, and he does do some of that stuff, drifting and dropping, and we saw that when he came on, and we saw that in the, in the build up to his goal. But Olmo just does everything like half a step faster. And he just plays with this little bit of chaos in his game that Alvaro Morata doesn't have when he drops. And so against an Italy team who is trying to get forward and is trying to use the ball, even though they didn't have a ton of possession in this game, having a player like Olmo who can take advantage of the gaps in their shape, in Italy's shape, I think it made a lot of sense. And I give Luis Enrique credit for making that choice. It's a tough choice in a really big game. And I, I think it paid off even though Spain didn't win this game.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I entirely agree with you, including of your assessment about Danny Omo, because he's one who we've seen at club level, we've seen him in this competition, but uh, I don't think many Spanish attackers have really stood out as being like, yep, that's the guy that's going to lead that line. But I see why Danny, uh Omo could have been that player for Spain and was on the day, because he draws tons of fouls, he creates tons of problems, he causes massive headaches for Italy. Graham, I feel like we're doing the thing that, podcasts sometimes do of talking about the defeated opponent at greater length than the victor because I think people tend to focus on like why didn't they win what went wrong and I'm kind of okay with that here because I think the general feeling from our like quick chat uh before recording is that Italy won but like maybe Spain deserved it more even though deserve has nothing to do with it when it comes down to the result but Spain I think pretty impressive in a way that I wasn't sure they would be in this game
2: Yeah, I I liked a lot of what I saw from Spain, and the, the irony in this is this is probably the the performance I come away from thinking the highest of Spain in this whole yep. tournament and obviously their tournament has just ended and watching this match there was just so much I mean I can hear the excitement in Joe's voice talk, talking about some of the tactical <laughs> stuff that was happening in this game and I just envisaged you Joe taking notes like the Kermit on the typewriter gif <laughs> uh,
0: just <Yes>. f- furiously <laughs> typing
2: oh Danny almost played as a false nine and they're man marking <laughs> judging you and Verratti oh. out of the game so Donna was having to go into them long and he distribution is quite poor and uh, yeah there was just there was a lot happening and it felt like it felt like Enrique got a a, a lot of things right Um, and and it feels like, as I say, I'm, I'm kind of repeat myself a little bit. It, it feels like maybe the result was slightly wrong, but the, the the thing that the thing that has obviously knocked them out is is the the trend that has um, been all the way through the tournament for Spain is that they 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 didn't convert their chances, or rather, in the first half, a lot of their their territorial advantage and their possession advantage. I think they had seventy percent possession over the full 90 or the 120 minutes um, it didn't translate into into that many golden opportunities in fact despite the fact this is where this match was a bit of a paradox despite the fact that I liked so much of Spain's performance for the first um, what 70 minutes or whatever it was until they they lost the goal it wasn't really until Morata comes on that they, they start to create some opportunities and, and so that's the that's the bit I'm struggling to get my head around a little yeah. bit because it, that seems the wrong way around <laughs> It does, and and I'm
1: with you on on everything you said, including – being a little bit confused about it in the end. Joe, Like as as Graham said, we have a Spain team dominating possession, not creating many clear-cut chances, and we've seen that many times in this tournament. This did feel different to me, though, and and I'm wondering if it did for you as well. I, I, I don't think it was just because it's a semifinal and it's Italy and it's really exciting. It felt like there were those kind of familiar summary lines when it comes to Spain, but I felt like they were much more threatening or maybe threatening in the way they, they probed and tried to pull Italy apart. And if anything, I came away from this, at least at the half, thinking it's it shows you how good Italians are at defending and how good this Italy team is at dealing with sort of unknowns and uh, strange outliers because I think a, a lesser team, a less defensive team, a less disciplined team gets pulled out pretty easily and Spain have a couple goals here and there. So I sort of feel like Spain did a lot of really good stuff And though they might be painted with the same broad brush, it doesn't necessarily apply, or in my opinion, it doesn't apply at all here. Where are you on that one?
3: I think Spain, I agree with both of you guys. And Graham, you're talking about how this is kind of a hard one to wrap your head around. And Taylor, I agree with what you're saying as well in terms of Italy doing the baseline defensive thing, right? Doing the baseline defensive thing of not conceding a goal in the first half where they were largely dominated by Spain. And I think for Spain in this game... They really gave off the impression for the first 45 minutes of the game and then, and then maybe five minutes into the second half once things slowed down a little bit and, and settled into a rhythm. I think Spain wasn't just dominant in possession. They came up against a team in Italy who actually wanted to play a little bit and tried to play out or, or over sometimes, but tried to play against Spain's high press. And that hasn't happened a ton for Spain in this tournament so far, at least certainly not in the group stage of this tournament. So Spain had a chance to flex some other muscles as well besides their repetitive possession muscle. They flex their pressing muscle, they flex their counter pressing muscle, which they do in most games. But still, I think the, I think the things that they did in this game were a lot more, there was a lot more to it than just repetitive possession play. And I think that gave them the impression, gave us the impression watching them Of this team that was really dominant. And then you look at the stats at halftime. XG in a single game and certainly in a single half. Not something we want to take as gospel here. But they had half half of a goal. They had 0.5 XG to Italy's 0.06. So Spain wasn't creating an incredible number of chances. But they were keeping Italy to almost nothing. They hadn't had a shot until the almost very end of that first half Italy. With I believe it was Emerson who gets a shot off in the 45th minute. Or the 44th minute right before halftime. Spain really did do an excellent job of controlling the game, but in soccer, it's hard to say that's necessarily a good thing if you're not getting on the board, and when they go down one nothing, it, it was almost as if all of that control was for nothing.
1: Well, gentlemen, uh, and I open this to either of you who has a thought. Why do we think it was then that Spain couldn't get more opportunities? Because when I when I saw this lineup, as I said, I thought it was going to be in a back five. Uh, Graham, to his po- to his credit, I think correctly said like, nope, this is probably what it's going to be. Maybe they'll be moved around a little bit, but this will be roughly the the shape and the approach. And it was, which then led me to think like, oh, okay, so Italy have have basically played against. Uh, more traditional hold-up number nines in this tournament. There was uh, Seferovic for Switzerland. There was Lukaku for Belgium. Um, I, I think you go back to their opening game and Burak Yilmaz for Turkey. I forget who else was in the group, but that was one as well. The only time they haven't Wales, was... Wait, it was Yeah, but he, he didn't play in that one. That was the final group game, yeah. But that was sort of the, the, the Italy B team, and that was Aaron Ramsey Central. And I thought, like, okay, so here's what it was. That's the game where they only got the one goal, they, they left it late, and Wales caused them problems, and that must be what they're doing. And then watching this game in the first 15 minutes, it became clear that it was more so that Spain just wanted the fluidity, knowing that they were going to have possession knowing that Italy were going to be pressing them early and often, that they wanted to be able to move people around but have like kind of technical ability all over the pitch. And so I went from thinking this is not going to work to, wow, Spain are looking really, really good, but then as the game goes on, those chances don't come. So do either of you have theories on or ideas on why they weren't able to create more, why Spain couldn't find a way through until eventually they did when, as Graham
2: said, they went with a slightly more traditional look? I guess, I guess one of the things I expected a little bit more from Spain. So, so Danny Almo, as we've mentioned a number of times, he was playing in the in the kind of central, I guess you would call it a false nine, as as people tend to refer to it as. Um, and what he was doing was he was he was dropping deep, and that was kind of confusing. Benucci and Chiellini, at least on in, in my observation. And that was making, compressing things in the centre of the pitch. But what I expected a little bit more of was someone like Ferran Torres. And I think you might have referenced this in our group chat, Taylor, during the game was maybe Ferran Torres to, to be making, to, to have more awareness of when to make a run in behind. And, um, I actually felt when Morata came on, for all his faults, um, he had more of a recognition of, of when to actually make that run in behind. And obviously there's a bit of, of link up play with Almo for the equaliser, so it's not a it's not a perfect analogy because I'm, I'm more talking about Almo um, positionally pulling someone out of, out of out of that defensive line to create space for someone else to play a pass to Torres or or, or Athabal. But Murata did recognise the fact that someone needed to be making those runs, and so I guess I expected more from Torres in particular because that's something he tends to do. You know, he he does that for City. We've seen that from him. Eller in this tournament for Spain coming off the bench and providing a little bit more forward thrust in that sense. And and from the start, he and he's obviously started this match. I, I expected to see that from him, but it it didn't really seem to happen.
3: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, Graham. I think Torres, in terms of his profile and how he plays, he plays as a more direct winger. I, at least that's how I think of him. And I know I've seen him do that role before, like you're talking about. But he was a player who I was also looking for more in this game. I think he is the right fit to make that run in behind because if almost dropped deep, there's space for someone to attack, you know, in the middle of Italy's defensive back four. So there's an opportunity for someone to break in behind. It's not going to be Pedri, right? It's not going to be Busquets. Those guys are much more Of connectors, really, than they are of space exploiters in midfield. Koke made a a run like the one that we're talking about that needed to be there. He made a run like that a couple of times. Oyathabal made a couple of those as well, and he had a really nice run for that ball that comes in. I can't remember who plays the cross inside, but then he just whiffs on the header, right? Uh, It's It's in the second half. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a lovely sequence. If that header goes on frame, we might be talking about this game in a completely different way, right? So it is that run, but that also leads to the other point that I'm talking about. Yes, space was there to be exploited and maybe wasn't by Spain, but man, the margins are just so fine in a game like this, especially when you play like how Spain plays a run that's a half step late, a run that's a half step early, a pass that's a half step. I mean, there's just so many pieces to this puzzle and Spain didn't have maybe that one component that we've talked about with the run in behind, but there's also just so many other things. It has to be a mixture, a giant mixture of things that come off at the exact right time. And Spain maybe didn't have that today, even though I do think they looked really, really good in possession for much of this match.
2: Just going back to sorry to jump in, Taylor, but just yeah, go going on. back to how this this match was a real paradox for me at the moment that Italy scored their goal through through Chiesa. Um, I'm thinking that that finally this match, is having watched Spain, I thought, be the better team up until that moment, when they score, I think, this is now a match set up for this Italy team. They're going to drop their defensive line a little bit deeper. I think Mancini at that point, what's the change he makes? I'm trying to look through my, my notes. He puts on... Um, I'm trying to look through. Isn't, it, isn't off, it Berardi? Yeah, yeah Berardi for Immobile Yeah, he puts on Berardi for Immobile and normally that would be Chiesa for Berardi or the other way round. And so to me, that just said Italy are going to go full quick counter attack here. They're going to just they're going to just sit and 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 hit out in the counter attack. And at that point, as I say, repeat myself a little bit. It's Italy's match. But no, that's the time when that's the time when Spain, who are a team who have struggled to to uh, play through low defensive blocks this whole tournament, who have struggled for cutting edge and to take their chances, that's the moment when they decide to actually find the back of the net and score a goal. So that that just added to my confusion of uh, not really knowing what the hell was going on. Uh, With with Graham feeling a little bit
1: confused, I know I am as well, and I feel like I need to practice my pronunciation of a certain player's name now that both of you have nailed it and I have very much done the opposite. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more goals, we'll talk a bit more about Italy, and we'll certainly talk about the penalty shootout in just a second.
0: This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham.
1: Welcome back, listeners. Uh, Graham, since you mentioned his name, can we have a moment to talk about uh, Chiesa, who scores the goal, your Italian son. Uh, the major <laughs> question, the burning question we all have, do you reward your Italian son for scoring that goal with the like Italian cheek kiss? And do you do all the hugging and the kind of kissing on the cheek? Or is it more of a sensible handshake style celebration for you?
2: No, it's just the the Italian hand gesture, just oh, okay, really, <laughs> just really each int- other and do it back really and forth. really intensely, yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but grim that is that is a player chiesa that you kind of uh hyped up a little bit before the tournament began. I know you were uh slightly frustrated to not have him featuring more, and yet here he is starting going very, very, very late into this game, and then it seems like has uh, maybe a little bit of a cramp, maybe feels something go, and so he pulls up, he comes out, but he does get that goal, and he did look very good. Overall thoughts on Chiesa from this one?
2: Yeah, I mean, first thing to say is um, I'm not sure I get away, I, I, I can get away with calling him my Italian son, given that he's his father is uh, rather well-known, <laughs> Enrico Chiesa, uh, who, of course, was a, a good fo- footballer, a very good footballer in his own right. Um, Alleged father, <laughs> yeah, but um, Kiesa, yeah, I I did pinpoint him before the tournament. I I'm, I think. A lot of people did um i don 't think I was alone in that, but Arde did start the first couple of matches, and I could see why he did start start those games. He had a, a an importance in in the structure he stretches the pitch, he bursts to the violin a little more, gives Italy a little bit more width when they have Insignia on the other side to kind of cut in and, and and congest things in the middle and link things up however, I still couldn 't shake the the feeling that Chiesa just had that little bit of individual quality to make things happen for Italy and obviously we saw that in, in this game and, and what a fantastic finish it is I mean he scores from the Lorenzo Insigne spot that we were talking about uh, <laughs> earlier in the tournament um, but yeah I'm a massive fan of Chiesa I think what I like about Chiesa is, is throughout his tournament he has been doubted and people seem to ha- seem to underestimate his ceiling as a player so when he goes to Juventus, people say, oh, he's not good enough for Juventus. He starts the season quite, quite poorly, and people think he's out of his depth. Then all of a sudden, he um, establishes himself in the first team. Then all of a sudden, he is, I would say, towards the end of last season, Juventus' is his best player and the one who's making things happen for him. And it's kind of, that narrative has continued into Euro 2020, where he's not in the team. Then he gets, then he makes an impression with some good, Cameo appearances off the bench, and now it would you would say he's probably one of the first teams on the team sheet given how he's played in the last few games. So uh, I'm pleased for him. And I think
1: made the difference certainly with getting that goal, but also I would say with the way he did so. Because earlier, Graham, you were talking about how when they score, you kind of expect Italy to sit in a little bit more, to do the defensive job and to frustrate and then try to maybe get the one on the counter. And I think in this, in the build-up to this goal, Chiesa could have easily done that same thing and sort of jogged forward, got himself into position to support attack, but instead he really sprints forward and is there to collect that loose ball and then has the tight control to get the shot off and get the goal. And that just felt like a good, I don't know, sort of representation of what Italy were doing in this game, which was doing things very well, but when that next level effort was required, they stepped up and made it happen. And mm-hmm. I would say that's the case for this goal, but also just for for the way they defended and sort of kept adjusting. Because I think, as I said earlier, a a lesser team gets pulled out and tracks Danny Omo too far or gets uh, stretched wide and then the gaps open up. And I think really the only time Italy opened up is when they end up conceding. Maybe the other one would be that sort of missed header that we already talked a little bit about. But I thought the way Italy defended, the way they were able to get that goal and then not sort of crumble when they concede the equalizer, I wasn't surprised that they didn't crumble. But simultaneously, I just thought... It was such a strong performance that showed how unified and well-coached that team is.
2: Yeah, I mean, the first thing, to take it back a little bit to Chiesa, the thing that really strikes me about him is, is his conviction, and, it, and almost, it almost hits me as Cristiano Ronaldo-esque. Obviously, he's playing alongside him at, at, at club level, so I wonder if a little bit of that has has rubbed off on him. So when that when Donnarumma, who is the, it's him that launches the ball forward to Immobile, it is, isn't it, that kind of... Uh, scrambles the ball uh, further up the field. You know, Chiesa instantly knows that that is a a goal-scoring opportunity. And there was a dribble not long after that where sometimes you watch a player dribble and you think, oh, they're, they're not really sure of what they're doing here. But it felt like he was, he was purely in it to create a goal-scoring opportunity. And that's what I really like about him. And I think that conviction is throughout this, this Italian team. And you mentioned it there. They go to, they go to, to one all. It feels like the game plan is crumbling a little bit. Um, but then, you know, Locatelli and, uh, who's the other one that comes on? Piscina come on in and, and, and the center of the pitch. And, and I just felt that was to inject a little bit of, of athleticism. I think Mancini recognized at that point it's, it's really about matching the, the Spanish energy and, and matching any kind of runners. They'd already been done by, by Maratta as, as the runner for the, for the equalizer. So despite the fact Italy have played much much better at this tournament. I even think they were maybe second best in this game in terms of what I liked about the performance. They still have enough of them about them on an off day, um, either in the structure that Mancini's put together, or their individual quality, or to be honest, that great intangible that we talk about—the character of the group as well. And I do think that is important. And you have it in abundance in players like Chiellini and Benucci and players who have who have been there and done done it before they they still have enough to get through to the final. So if this is their low bar, um, there's mm. almost a strength in their relative weakness, if that makes any sense. It it does. It definitely does. And I want to talk about that character
1: as we get to the penalty shootout. First, Joe, I want to spend a little bit of time on the equalizer because it is Avaro Morata. And as has been the case several times in the course of this game or in discussing this game, when Luis Enrique is forced to make some changes once they're trailing the changes he does make to me felt like this this isn't going to work it it seemed like they went with more of a 4231 at one point it's rodri and busquets as a double pivot that didn't feel like it was going to create much moreno comes on maratha comes on and for a second there it felt like oh he's kind of putting everybody in the exact same positions you would expect them to be and this feels like it's going to go the way we expect it to, which is frustrating, half chances, but nothing clear cut. Italy win 1-0 or 2-0. And instead, it's, again, more fluid, more movement than I expected it to be. It's players moving off the ball. I think uh, I think uh, John uh, Muller did a really good job of breaking down the goal where it's Jorginho being pulled out, and that opens up space for Morata, but Morata himself finding that little pocket is impressive. Joe, you've been sort of his advocate in this tournament. Uh, <laughs> would you like to continue that now? I, I mean, yeah, I would. I think Morata comes on and he plays a, not a unique role, but he,
3: he starts shifted out wide to the left. Mm-hmm. And Danny Olmo is still as that, still playing as that nine who's dropping in. And then Morata shifts inside more and he's inside on the goal that he scores in the 80th minute. But then they swap some back and forth and Morata still is in the left half space. Some and Jordi Alba pushing up wide on that left side. And so it is it is fluid. And ultimately Spain were fluid as this game went on. And this goal was the best example of their fluidity. It's a, it's a gorgeous sequence. It's Laporte finding Morata dropping into midfield. Pedri has pulled Jorginho out like you're talking about, Taylor referencing that John Muller tweet, which is a great breakdown of it with good screen caps and all that jazz. And then Morata gets on the ball in between the lines doing the thing that Spain were trying to do all game long. And it's funny that it comes with Morata doing The Danny Olmo thing instead of Danny Olmo doing it, even though Hmm. he was, I mean, it's a, it's a role reversal here slightly. But then both of those players get involved in the goal. They move forward. Maratta pulls Chiellini out and then plays the ball to Olmo and then Olmo threads the ball into Maratta who scores. I, I just enjoy, I, I I guess I enjoy watching Alvaro Maratta play. I don't, he's not a player that I'm always, you know, a thousand percent stoked to watch. He's not this Erling Holland-esque. Light things on fire, kind of number nine, but he's a good player and he certainly doesn't deserve all of the – I mean, crap isn't even putting it strongly. Enough. He doesn't deserve all the abuse that he's been getting from Spanish fans and from all I – mean, fans in air quotes there really. I mean, it, he doesn't deserve any of that stuff and it's a shame. It is such a shame that he misses that penalty kick. I cannot even imagine in the penalty shootout what he's feeling right now as we're recording this but he's a good striker who doesn't always finish his chances but i mean guess what guys no striker ever finishes all of their chances that they that they should finish quote again air quotes there i enjoy watching alvaro morata i really i think i enjoy watching the spain team more than most and this fluid attacking movement was just gorgeous and and taylor before i flip it back to you pedri mm. come on pedri is so good his movement like we've already said unlocks this opportunity for spain to move forward he didn't miss a pass. He didn't uh play an errant pass until I think the second to last minute of extra time. It's like the 119th minute, something like that, something insane yep. like that. He is just unreal. And this is the coldest of all cold takes. This take has been swimming in the frozen tundra for a week straight. But he is phenomenal for Spain and he will be their starting left center mid or, or maybe shifting over to the right it doesn't matter he will be in this team for a long 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 time and he will be key for Barcelona and he will be key whenever uh, Manchester City comes in and buys him for 200 million pounds
1: <laughs> yeah so much so uh, less of the Man City uh, thing more so what he does for Spain that I think a- as we got into extra time you had Jorginho not quite quite man marking him because that would have left too much space and that would have kind of played into their hands but it it was a constant head on a swivel check from Jorginho to make sure that uh that there was there was coverage there for Pedri but then there was also coverage on Dani Olmo and having to track those two players and all their movements a nightmare. i think maybe there's an argument that italy were welcoming those penalties because at least they didn't have to deal with that sort of uh discipline anymore i would also say that yes Murata misses his penalty but like To some extent, I'm wondering if Italy had already won the penalty shoot-up before it began, because I'm guessing you all saw Giorgio (laughs) Chiellini just like laughing it up. He lifts up Jordi Alba, he gives
3: him a big old hug. He's he's insane. He's crazy. But
2: but Alba wasn't having any of it. He was not in the mood at all for any of it. And and I don't know who Spain's
1: uh, fifth taker would have been because they don't have one go, but I hope it was Jordi Alba because otherwise he is very (laughs) locked in for not taking a penalty. But Chiellini... I can't tell if that was, like, I, I was wondering if he was going to take one and just bury it. He didn't end up taking one. But just the the very relaxed smile, like, ah, we've been here for- before, isn't that crazy? Even Donnarumma, I think he has, like, a, a long embrace sort of nuzzle with uh, Unai Simon. And again, it's that, like, oh, can you believe we're here? Ha ha ha. And I think if you're going into a penalty shootout, you want there to be a genuine... Light-hearted positivity. You don't want that faux like, we're all great, right? This is going to be wonderful. I'm not nervous. <laughs> that doesn't strike the right tone. But I just felt like Italy had the the kind of positivity there. And even when Locatelli misses the opener, and it's not a particularly good penalty, it's a great save, I would say, as well from Sim- Simone. From there, it's just sort of they go about their business. They dispatch the next four and and Italy uh, into the final. Uh, Graham, any thoughts on the
2: penalty shootout? I did my diagramming. I've got a few, but uh, I wanted to throw to you and Joe first. <laughs> um, I'm not sure I'm that great at analyzing penalty shootouts. I feel that that's definitely your thing, Taylor. <laughs> what what are your thoughts on them? I feel like you must have something. Joe, do you, do you have any before I just sort of... Go yeah. on about my business. <laughs> yeah, real quick. So I,
3: I did watch large stretches of mm-hmm. the last two games, the last couple of shows that I, that I wasn't on. And I know a, a number of those games went to penalties. There have been just a ton of really yep. bad penalty kicks in this tournament. And this goes all the way back to the group stage as well. There were stats going around about, you know, players missing just an obscene number of penalty kicks in this tournament. I mean, what is, what's going on here, fellas? It's not, I'm not going to say it's well, easy to step up and hit a penalty, but like the, the first one from Locatelli is poor, and then Olmos is the second one, isn't it? It's the first one for Spain. He goes mm-hmm. way high, way wide, yep. and, and then Morata's yep. yeah, penalty is is dreadful. It's not a good penalty kick. That doesn't mean he's this is a terrible soccer player, blah, blah, blah. But it's just it's not good. And so, Taylor, well, I don't know if you have an explanation for that or, or whatever you want to say, but that was kind of my takeaway from the well, shootout.
2: What happened was Manchester United and Villarreal used up all the converted yes. penalties yes. in Great. the Europa League final. And so now we've got about two years of missed penalties because of that. And
3: <laughs> and now Taylor's
1: sad. I mean, no.
2: I kind of always say whenever Man
1: United are involved. Uh, I, I have a half-baked theory on why maybe like the penalties haven't been so good. And it is that basically we've had so many games over the last season and a half because of the... Uh, like the resumption after COVID, but it's meant, I think, more fatigue, maybe more sloppiness late, which lends itself to more maybe contact in the box, more penalties given up, and we have tons of footage of players. I think we have dedicated people on staff who track everything, and I will say that both keepers, uh, I think, yeah, uh, Donnarumma guessed right three or four times and Unai Simon guessed right three or five times. And I believe uh, Jorginho went the opposite way of where he tends to go. So I do wonder if maybe just the research that these goalkeepers are able to do themselves or have done for them makes it so that penalties get a little bit harder. I also think it's interesting that both times we've had a team go to penalties, the next time they go to penalties, it does not work out. And I and I think there is something to be said for overthinking, knowing that people have watched what you've just done because Danny Omo uh, steps up. He was the second taker last time and he nailed his into the top left corner. This time he's the first taker. He misses it by aiming for the top left corner and hitting it over. And I think there's a chance that maybe there had been some footage watched and there was a guess that he would go the the
2: same way. It's that old thing. Sorry to interrupt you. It's that old no, thing but... of, of, of when you're maybe forced to retake a penalty or you yeah. get two yeah. penalties in the same match and you mm-hmm. think, are they going to go the same way? Are they going to do the same thing or are they going to shake it up? And I yeah. feel like you, as you, as you reference here, you can almost like outthink yourself by trying to work out what you want to do. And the only one who doesn't is Moreno, who went like almost, if
1: you watch it again, the exact same spot in that, in that top right corner. He just, He just puts it down and hits it as hard as he can. And there's something to be said for that because then we look at Avaro and the one angle on the replay, Donnarumma is just staring at his face the entire time. From the moment he puts that ball down and stands up, Donnarumma is just staring at him until he starts his run-up, and Donnarumma is already basically moving to exactly where that kick is going. And I do think he read him completely throughout that one. So I think there were some moments like that where I thought Donnarumma just did an excellent job. I keep waiting for that second foot to come off the line, and it is not happening. Even on the replays, you can see the foot's on the line the whole time. So I think it's a credit to uh, to the goalkeepers for figuring that one out and then not letting anything like I really don't so, want there to be a save that then gets called back, basically.
2: <laughs> so you're not blaming like the ball, because that's normally how this this conversation goes, is it not? Like, w- oh, the ball's lighter than usual, or oh, whatever. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's usually like the lazy pundit, like cliche. Oh, the balls move all over the place. By the way, the no. ball in this game, I, I I I swear this wasn't a deliberate segue. The ball in this game, oh, fantastic! It's a new silver <laughs> ball for the semi-finals and final. It's Euro two thousand and four nostalgia. It's <laughs> it's
1: brilliant. Uh, yeah, I, I thought I thought I, fine. Let's blame the ball then, since Graham <laughs> liked it. I think it was definitely all the ball. It wasn't good finishing and confidence from Italy. Bonucci walking up. My note was he either looked incredibly focused or incredibly nervous. And then it was just calm with three A's because he was very, very calm in his finish. I love that Tiago went for the hop and like, I'm going to call it the Joseph Martinez hop and pass into the goal. I enjoyed somebody making the point that, uh, of course Tiago passes his goal. Uh, and a, an idea ball. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but then, Jorginho does the exact same thing, and I like that as well. That is such that is second only to the Panenka as a way to win a penalty shootout. Uh, that, the calmness of that one, and just slotting it in, and then backing yourself and running off to celebrate. I thought it was a great penalty shootout, even if it wasn't a technically great penalty shootout, Joe.
3: Penalty kicks are just a giant psych experiment, um, mm-hmm. and we're just watching. And so, I, I don't know, I always get nervous watching it, and it just feels so insane. And sports are crazy, man. Aren't they? You know? Yep. Wow. Wow. What a day.
1: Sports <laughs> are crazy and Italy advanced. That feels about a good summary for this tournament so far. Uh, anything else from this game from Italy's win over Spain before we move on to uh, briefly discussing tomorrow's semifinal?
3: Yeah. I've got one thing quickly. We didn't spend Please. a whole lot of time talking about... Spain's press against Italy's buildup. But, I mean, we've mentioned how, and Taylor, you specifically have mentioned how Italy did a lot of things well in this game. And I largely agree with that. One thing that I don't think they did well at all in the opening 30, really in the first half, is play through Spain's press. They were not really consistent with their approach to yeah. to p- building through it. And Spain pressed well, and they had uh oftentimes Pedri and Coque marking Jorginho and Verrazio. Sometimes they had Olmo and Oyathabal o- doing that job. And so I'm not saying Spain made it easy for them, but this is an Italy team that's been built and, and largely has earned this billing as being this effective ball-dominant team. They really weren't that today. Their success came in transition. A lot of Spain's success really came in transition as well. I think for Italy, as they approach the final on Sunday, cleaning up their possession play especially if they're playing Denmark, who I think will will extend in England might extend a little bit as well, but either way, they'll need to be more effective with the ball to to give
1: themselves the best possible chance of winning that final. I haven't watched uh gone back and watched in enough detail, but my assumption would be that Spain did a ton of, uh, viewing of footage for Italy and identified the, the at least very obvious pressing triggers and then played into that so that Italy couldn't really get comfortable in what they wanted to do. I saw them trying to kind of crowd everybody onto one half of the pitch, either the right side or the left side. But when they would do that, there were moments when, because Spain did have some of the positional fluidity that we've already talked about, They couldn't close down a player fast enough. And if you have everybody on one side, Spain would just have... It It was oftentimes they would have the ball on their left. Aspilicueta on the right would just be standing far out on the right. And there would be enough time for that big switch over. And then Italy have to all shift to the other side. And I think at a certain point they recognized it wasn't as effective and they started to sit off a little bit more. And I think Spain basically nullified some of those triggers and Italy had to adjust. And I think whoever advances from uh, England v. Denmark maybe would would do well to watch some of that footage as well and, and spot some of those and see how they can use those to their advantage. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I think,
3: I don't know, I'm just excited for this final yep. because I think no matter who the opponent is, it's going to be just a, a really tactically interesting game and we can get into that more as the final approaches and all that good stuff. But yeah, I think, Taylor, I'm with you on that.
1: All right, uh, Graham. I know it's late over there.
2: Anything else to add on this one? Or are you ready to? I move? was. I was just so psyched to see the tiny football car back. <laughs> yeah, <of> <laughs> Ryan is smiling. Ryan is smiling.
1: <laughs> Graham, was it you who
2: was tweeting that it's been that it's been verified? It yes. has a blue check mark on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if the fact that I've got a blue check mark wasn't already proof that they hand those out to anyone, uh, the fact that the tiny football car from the Euros has a has a blue tick uh, definitely <laughs> hey, proves that. Hey, but, Graham. They, they, don't, they, they don't hand them out to just anyone. I'm just
1: saying. Sad, sad face emoji. Oh, some soccer great. show. One day we'll be verified. One day we will be a genuine show. But for now, we, we're, just, we're just a fake soccer show, I think. Uh, we will be back to not talk more about verification. We'll instead talk about England v. Denmark in just a second.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before?
1: welcome back final segment fellas we've got a semi-final to preview england v denmark uh graham since you left us off talking about uh small tiny cars first of all are you going to be sad if we don't get a small car wheeling the ball onto the pitch tomorrow what if we get what if we get like a small animal pushing not the silver ball will you be okay with that or will you be sad
2: because we had a double change Wait, so the, a small animal's pushing what? It's 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 pushing not the silver ball. So what's yeah, it pushing? It, well, what what's your least favorite soccer ball? That one. <laughs> right, okay. Uh the gold one from the 2002 World Cup. I wasn't Perfect. I, I wasn't too too keen on that <laughs> one. Don't ask All me right, why. So,
1: small animal <laughs> trained to push the the golden ball from 2002 <laughs> versus this, this is would, the exact type of conversation this, we'd be having if
2: Brian were here. Uh, Graham, which one do you be want? A, this would be a bizarre scenario. I'd have a lot <laughs> of questions if the 2002 World Cup ball came out on the back of a small animal onto Wembley, <laughs> onto the Wembley pitch. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's England Denmark previewed. Unless you all have
1: any other <laughs> thoughts, uh, Joe. Joe, I want to ask you about cars. I'll just ask you: Are there anything? Is there anything in particular you are going to be watching for? You're excited about uh, between England and the Danes tomorrow at three p.m. I'm curious to see how England are going to set up in this game. Mm-hmm. Right? They've done some
3: shape mirroring in this tournament after. Really starting out in a 4-3-3 shape with Calvin Phillips and Mason Mount ahead of Declan Rice. That's how they began this tournament. And then Calvin Phillips' positioning has been tweaked some. Mason Mount obviously has been out of the lineup due to coming in contact with Billy Gilmore. Sorry, Graham. So We've seen some tweaks from Gareth Southgate. That's just one slight example. He's done some tinkering from game to game. And so I'm wondering and kind of expecting to see this 3-4-3 shape matched up against Denmark's 3-4-3 shape, right? Denmark have Mikkel Domsgaard and, and oftentimes Braithwaite tucking inside and playing underneath that number 9. It's been Dolberg recently. It could be Josef Paulsen playing that number 9 role if he's back in the starting 11 for Denmark. But I'm curious to see how England are going to approach this game. How do they try to defend Denmark? Are they going to try to do what they did against Germany where they really do match up man for man? And if so... How will Denmark tweak things? Germany dropped Kai Havertz into central midfield a lot of the time in that game to create some sort of numerical advantage or disadvantage in in certain areas for England. What will Denmark do to counter all of, of England's tactical tweaks if indeed Gareth Southgate does
1: make those tweaks? Graham, let's talk about Scotland, and I mean that sincerely. Because Scotland <laughs> okay. were able to to hold on to the like to the uh, nil nil draw, and they did some things very uh, intelligently against England. Do you think that is a game that Denmark could be looking at as a way to frustrate England to sort of nullify the many attacking threats they have, and then maybe potentially counter a bit more effectively a- a- and sneak mm-hmm. a goal? Do you think that they could kind of go that more defensive route?
2: Um, I mean, it sounds strange to suggest that Denmark, who are in the semi-finals of a major tournament, might be looking at Scotland for game plan. But uh, but yeah, I guess so. They, uh, surely they will have. I mean, Scotland are so far the only team to have uh, to have stopped England mm-hmm. from from scoring. Um, I guess that the, in terms of their system, I mean, the way that they're going to, they're likely going to use a, a back five with wing backs. There are similarities. Between how Denmark play and and how Scotland set up, obviously they just do it a lot better than than, than we do and and um, switching on to kind of what Joe was talking about there with with uh, how England have have made changes to match up at this tournament. I look at this Denmark team and I see a team that is eerily quite similar in terms of their makeup and their their tactical approach. To Germany, when England did match up against them, you know, they, they play with, with wing backs that like, particularly with Milo on the left side, who they like to create an overlord there. They have two central midfielders who will try to control the game in Delaney and Heuberg, and, and then they have kind of a fluid front three, which is similar to how Germany had, you know, Werner and Havertz and, and Muller. You know, in, in Denmark's case, it's Damsgaard, Dahlberg, and Brathwaite. Um, I, st- I think, uh Hillman will-, will probably stick with those three r- despite the fact Poulsen is fit. So I, I fully expect England to match up and I think, I think Denmark, it- for me, it- a-, a lot of this game will be decided in that midfield battle because I think it will be, a two-on-two scrap between Phillips—scrap's I mean, not the wrong word because I think it will—it is the wrong word because I think it will be very technical and 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 a lot about um, the use of the ball. But Phillips and Rice versus Delaney and Hoiberg, I think that will that will determine a lot of this match. You would ordinarily assume that England, with their superior quality, will dominate a match like this. But Hoiberg and Delaney are arguably playing at higher standards than, than Rice and Phillips. I know Rice and Phillips are young and will probably, probably have higher ceilings. But, you know, they, they're players with good pedigree and are used to the, the big events and they won't be overawed. And I, I just think one of the things I took away from the Scotland game was just how Billy Gilmore had the conviction and the confidence in himself to kind of say, I'm going to dominate this game a little bit in the centre of the pitch. And I think Denmark and, and with Hoiberg in particular have a player who can do that.
3: And I, I want to add, Grim, you're talking about that 2v2. I think we could see Andres Christensen do his, do his thing where he shifts in from a uh, right center back spot or somewhere yeah. in the back three and then tucking into midfield. And that could be the Kai Havertz of this game. That could be the, the thing that Casper Hillman does to unbalance England's shape and, and give them an advantage in a key area. We've seen Christensen move into midfield before. That could be a move that Hillman makes to, to just tweak things a little bit and try to uh, unbalance. England in possession. Also, I mean, Domsgaard moving inside. We've seen that earlier in this tournament, almost forming a diamond. If Christensen moves inside, Damsgaard tucks inside from left wing, then they have four players in there with Delaney and Hoiberg. So that could be a really nice midfield diamond or midfield rhombus or whatever you want to call it in this <laughs> game for Denmark, who is just an incredibly good team. I don't really view them talent-wise. Yes, they're, they're at a deficit, but tactically, they've been excellent in this tournament. Technically, they've been excellent in this tournament. I think they have everything they need to really give England the game.
1: And I think we've talked about it previously, but that back line, very, very solid. The midfield ahead of them, also pretty solid. Uh, mela has been, if not for Spinazzola, uh, one of the kind of standout left wing backs of the tournament, yeah. which is a strange thing to say, but there have been many, many strong performances in that spot in this competition. So then my final question for both of you, Graham, I apologize. I'm going to make you answer this. <laughs> is there a thing you would like to see from England, be it a back three or a back four, or is there a specific player you think I would, puts them I would in a like, better situation?
2: I would like to see them um, forget to field 11 players yeah. and only <laughs> play uh, six by accident. That's what okay. I would like to see from them. But I feel like All the right. chances of that are minimal.
1: <laughs> I mean, alright, but we'll, we'll, we'll definitely note that. I think it will be somewhat obvious. So, uh, that aside, Graham, of, <laughs> of fielding only six players, is there, like, do you want it to be Saka? Would you like it to be Sancho? Do you not much care and just kind of want to see what their overall approach is to deal with a Danish team that I
2: think has proven themselves just, to be pretty tricky? Yeah, just, just through, Pure personal preference. I would, I would quite like to see Sancho again, just because mm-hmm. obviously we haven't seen much of him at this tournament, and and I don't want to be left what kind of wanting more. Which obviously he was, he was very good against uh against Ukraine, and so I, I just want to see a little bit more of him. I know Saka has had a good tournament as well, but I, I just like the threat of Sterling off one side, Saka off the other, and, and and Kane in the middle. It feels like if I were an opposition player, I would be more uh, daunted. By that than Saka, despite the fact Saka is very good and he's he's done had a great tournament, I still think Sancho has more about his game. Um, so yeah, I, I would, I personally would like to see Sancho. To be honest, other than that, I think there's not going to be many surprises. I, I know Southgate has chopped and changed, and there's been a few surprises. Um Early in the tournament, I'm looking at Trippier at left-back for the opening game of the tournament, which I still oh, yeah. think was strange. Um But other than that, I, I think he has settled on... If, if he goes to a back three, we know what players he's going to play in what position, because he did that against Germany. If he plays a back four like he's done in the other matches, we know what players are going to play in what position. So really, it, for me, it's, it's, it's Saka or Sancho, and that's really the only decision he has to make.
1: All right, so it's uh, England starting with only six players, then it's uh, will he start Phil Foden at center back, and then the thing you'll be paying attention to is it Saka versus Sancho? Yeah, that nailed it. That's it. All right, perfect. Uh, what about you, Joe? Uh, I'd love to see Phil Foden at center back. That
3: is now just catapulted <laughs> to the top of my England wish list. Now, I mean, I, genuinely, I'd like to see – this won't happen, right? I'm, I'm being very clear here. This won't happen. I'd like to see England play. I'd like to see them mm. let loose a little bit and do their thing. But that is – I mean that's like saying I want to see Spain defend in a low block for 90 minutes. right? It's just not going to – it's completely against Gareth Southgate's tactical identity. And that's fine. His tactical identity works. So what I'm expecting to see from England tomorrow is I'm expecting to see them play pretty conservatively. They're they are likely going to have at least some of the ball. and They're not going to get dominated in terms of possession. They're going to be able to, to put their foot on the ball in moments – But I'd like to see them actually take chances and take risks and drive forward. I think they'll, they'll end up playing more horizontally, a little bit slower, but it's worked for them in this tournament. It's been a hugely effective recipe for them using the ball as a defensive mechanism, not taking too many chances, just controlling the game with careful possession. And so if they're going to do that, I'd like, I'd at least like to see the Czech Republic version of of England where they're playing Mm -hmm. the Czech Republic and the Czech Republic step high and they really do press England early on in that game. And then England, when when they're being forced to do something with the ball, when the opposing team is coming to meet them, like I think Denmark will at times, then they have to go. They have to either play the ball long, which is maybe not the highest percentage option, or they have to play through pressure. And boy, they have the talent to play through pressure. So I'd really like to see, I don't much care who the personnel is necessarily because there's talent no matter what, but I'd like to see Phil Foden leading, you know, counterattacks from his center back spot. Now I'd like to see them (laughs) using the ball to break through a press or to break through Denmark somehow tomorrow. And I do think that's possible. I don't think I'm asking Gareth Southgate to go against his tactical philosophy. So I think there's a chance we could see England put out a few... Nice bits of combination play and a few nice bits of build-up against Denmark tomorrow.
2: I'd like to see Luke Shaw play in his slippers. And I'd also like to (laughs) see uh, Mason Mount celebrate a goal by lifting up his shirt to reveal a Ratatouille shirt underneath as well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, if either of those things happen, I'm sure
1: you will be both be back to discuss them. Ryan Bailey will also be joining us from England. I don't know what his sobriety level will be. I think it will very much depend on the result, but that's at 3 p.m. We'll have that show out tomorrow evening. For now, gentlemen, it's time to say goodbye. And since it's me doing it and not Ryan Bailey, here we go. Joe, it is very lovely to have you back. We missed you. It's always fun to have you oh, providing no. the analysis and the excellent work, the <laughs> tactical... uh like this is a and the impressive thoughts overall. Joe, thank you so much for being here.
3: Yeah, Taylor, man, you're so welcome. It's great to be back. You did a great job hosting, oh, as you oh, always oh. do.
1: Um, it, it's been lovely. It really has. And Graham, good stuff. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> Listeners, thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you again very soon. <laughs>